This podcast is brought to you by Zeno Mueller, three-time Olympian and gold medalist. Imagine a 20-second 2K PR by the end of this season, or even sooner. Elite rowing coach by Zeno Mueller is a competitive advantage. The ERG score is the SAT of rowing, so find out what Zeno Mueller can do for you. Make sure to use coupon 4STARS, F-O-R-S-T-A-R-S, for $200 off on any program he has on his website. Zeno is an Olympian and graduate from Brown University, coached by the legendary Steve Gladstone. He'll get you right, he'll get your 2K down, and he'll be a better athlete after his training. So make sure you tune in with Zeno and get some coaching at EliteRowingCoach.com. On tonight's program, ladies and gentlemen, we have something that's going to make you sick. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Four Stars Podcast, where today we get to hear from Coach Claire O'Hal. She is the head coach of Harvard Radcliffe Women's Rowing. So just about a little introduction to who you are. You know, a lot of people have been requesting to hear from you, and so I, I'm wanting to grant their wish. So you walked onto the team at Boston University and the women's rowing team. You graduated in 2012, definitely making an impact on that program. And it's unbelievable that you once walked onto a team like that. And now you are the head coach of Harvard on the Charles River where you once rode at Boston. It must be crazy, but it's it's unbelievable how how life works out, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing about being a walk-on and having started on the Charles is you really have no other perspective than the perspective of the boathouse that you join. So for me, I mean, it was the greatest thing I've ever done. Um, definitely life-changing in so many different ways and has obviously led me to this point in my life and career now, um, which is super special. And I'm really thankful for the experience that I had at BU. I mean, I think like most collegiate athletes, like there's ups and downs and there's great days, there's tough days. And I think, yeah, having had that perspective, you know, try to share that with our student athletes now. But yeah, rowing was definitely the the greatest gift I've ever been given, both just having the experience of having been a rower and then it leading me into coaching. Now, we, we talk about your experience coaching. You, you've been a coach in the junior level. You've been a coach at the, the collegiate level like you are right now. And you were also coaching the U23 women at Mercer for a little bit. So, you you know, competitiveness obviously changes when you go from level to level. But what did you learn the most coaching the juniors? The thing I learned the most about coaching juniors and starting off at that junior level, you know, like... Personally, I had not had that experience of rowing as a junior. What I found is that if you can get people started on a really great foot and help them fall in love with the sport, it creates longevity in this sport for people. And I think that's such an important thing. You know, as I mentioned before, like rowing truly has been one of the greatest gifts in my life in terms of the experiences that I've had, the people that I've met, the things that I've learned, and then being able to share that with young women and share the love and passion that I have for the sport and what it can teach them in terms of camaraderie and confidence and self-esteem and, you know, being strong, like being a boss. Like it's, it's all, it's all stuff that I think young women need more of. So coaching at the junior level, I think the most noticeable thing for me at the junior level was watching 
women who maybe started in eighth grade or as freshmen in high school or, you know, their first, their novice year. And at the end of that first year, they are different people. And in such an amazing way, (laughs) you know, I think just setting high expectations for them and giving them the tools to meet and exceed those creates such a great environment where they just, they surprise themselves and that's what it's all about. And I think the most special thing for me, looking back on where I got started in coaching and, you know, where I'm at now is being on the Charles and seeing some of the women that I coached as novices at Whalen Weston out there on the Charles coaching other people. So to me, that's like such a special thing um, that they're still involved in the sport and they're sharing their love for the sport. And it's really that, you know, that ripple effect for creating a great community in rowing. The rowing community itself is super small. And that's why you get like a lot of people know each other. College coaches talk all the time. Now that you're the coach at Harvard, have you experienced a lot of communication with other coaches from different teams? Yeah. And I think this is something, you know, it, it started for me a lot at Syracuse, like as I moved up in my career there and was, was really supported a lot by Luke McGee, our, our head coach at Syracuse. I think that just being able to have people that you can talk to in this sport. And like you said, rowing community is really small. And I think what's kind of cool about it, you know, it's funny. I was talking to someone about this on Monday is in rowing, you know, a collegiate athlete, they could call up their hero coach, you know, and say, what do you think about this? Or, you know, tell me about your experience of coaching so-and-so or whatever it may be, or your experience at the Olympic games or, you know, how do I get involved in the next level of rowing, right? So I I think you can do that in rowing at almost any level, but really like in college, you know, college football, think about, or even high school football, like all the kids that are involved in that, they're not calling up Tom Brady and saying like, hey, can you give me your tips and tricks, Tom? So I think that's kind of a cool thing about the rowing community is how willing people are to share with one another at the end of the day, we're, we're kind of all doing the same thing out there, right? We're trying to perfect the rowing stroke. We're trying to recruit a lot of the same kids. <laughs> um, and so I think being able to have positive relationships with your, your peers, but also your competitors creates just like a really great environment for us as coaches. And then I think a better experience for our athletes, like mirroring that relationship with one another. What do you think is the most important part of the rowing stroke. And this was asked by Olympic champion. (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. No pressure. Um, You know, it's funny. Like I actually have talked to our team a lot about this. You get your blades in the water, you get on the legs and you work really hard on the drive to move the boat quickly. And then you're trying not to screw it up at the finish. Right. (laughs) Um, So personally, I think that that part of the stroke is, is so important and, it's a lot more technical than I think a lot of people give it credit for. You know, I think I think the catch gets a lot of attention more so. <laughs> but personally, and you know what? Like, I, I'm excited because I have some assistant coaches who are, are more front-end focused. So I think it's great to have a balance of both. But personally, I think, you know, I'm a I'm more of a finish, like, back-end kind of focused coach. And how often are you uh, using the concept to over the RP3 or – have you noticed that the RP3 is better suited for your team or anything like that? I know that 
at Syracuse, they found like, you know, RP3 is a great way to re- reduce injury in the back. So I'm just curious to hear mm-hmm. your side of things. Yeah. And, you know, total credit to Luke on that one. Like we, we mainly spent the winter on RP3s. So far, we haven't spent a ton of time on either machine. You know, we've done a little bit. We've done a couple ergs. We've done a couple RPs. You know, personally, I think the RP3 is a fantastic machine. They're definitely, you got to take, you got to take good care of them and maintain them really well. But if you do that, they are, I just think they create more intelligent, effective athletes um, or rowers specifically. Just the amount of data that you can gather and the amount of data that the rowers can see. I just think that translates a lot to what we're talking about on the water, right? Like, you know, power curves and peak force and stroke length and all of those things. Like it's, they're just a little bit more similar to the feeling of the stroke on the water at the base level. Like the concept two is always going to be a staple in rowing. Right. And I think what's really cool about concept two is that they provide access to, to the sport of rowing to so many people. And, you know, we hear it more and more now where it's like someone's finding rowing through CrossFit, someone's finding finding rowing through erging because they're coming back from an injury in another sport, right? Or like a physical therapist is like, hey, you should do, you should jump on this machine while you're trying to work on, you know, recovering your ACL or whatever it is. I think both machines are super useful. I do think in terms of just the amount of data that we can gather from the RP3s and just continuing to try to, especially being in a, in a cold weather area where we do have to come off the water, they really, the RP3 does help in that transition. Yeah. I mean, you're hundred percent right. I mean, I think that being an RP3 once myself, like I don't go out all the time, but when I, when I had the chance, I do. And if I ever see one, I try to go on as much as I can. But my whole thing is I think the RP3 really replicates the stroke a little bit more, just so fluid, whereas it's a stationary concept too. You know, if it's not on sliders, it can be difficult. Uh, a lot of pressure on your back. And I, a lot of injuries happen on the concept twos. But again, uh, going back to Harvard is the facilities that you have are one to none. Uh, you know, obviously at Will Boathouse, there's a history, long, long, long history of rowing. Uh, and how is that when you when you walked in the boathouse for the first time? What was your first introduction to it? I mean, it must have been eye-opening. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'd been in Weld like, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years ago rowing out of there for Cromwell Cup back in the day of doing a development camp in Boston. So I think, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in there and walking in for the first time and just seeing how amazing the renovation is, the celebration of the history of, of Radcliffe rowing and how they, how basically with this renovation, they really kept the, kept the feel of like historic boathouse all the brick it's beautiful like they've done such an amazing job while also bringing it into like the present and the future even with the amount of technology that's in there just in terms of being able to do video and and that sort of stuff providing space for you know an erg room downstairs and you know i think (laughs) we're a little bit spoiled with our coach office view we look straight up at weeks from our coach offices so i will say it's it's a it's a very special place and I feel super lucky to be there. And I just think it's such a cool thing to be kind of the first stop for Harvard athletics. When you have students walking over from, from campus towards athletics, we're the first building they see. 
right, before they cross the river. So to me, to be such a central place on campus and such a staple of the university is is a really, really unique thing, honestly. You saw the junior level, you liked it a lot. You became a graduate assistant at Temple. You, then you went to Syracuse, so you got the ACC kind of culture and whatnot. The changes going on with the ACC right now, we got Cal, we got Stanford, we got SMU going to the ACC. If let's say you were still at Syracuse this year, would your training plan and with with uh, with Coach Luke be any different than it was last year as those three big powerhouse teams come to your, your conference? I'm just curious if that would be something in mind. Yeah, I mean, the ACC just got really fast, which is which is cool. I mean, you want to race fast programs, right? Like that's what it's all about is racing fast teams. Amazing to have the, you know, this past year's national championships joining, joining the ACC. I think so this upcoming year, so 2024, they won't be there for 2024, but then it's the following year that they'll be racing at ACC champs. It's going to be this next change in women's rowing. Um, women's rowing has changed so much even since I was an undergrad. And I think that that's something, you know, honestly, to pulling it back to Radcliffe is like, that's something I feel like I'm here to do is help take Radcliffe into the, into the future of what women's rowing is going to look like. I mean, like the Ivy League is totally a premier league for rowing. So I think we're going to see more premier leagues for rowing as these conference realignments happen. But honestly, it's, yeah, I mean, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. I can't speak to what Luke's going to do, but I know that he's a smart guy and um, he'll be ready for it. He'll get the team ready. (laughs) And they're actually racing this year. I think that's kind of, you know, I'm super, even though left Syracuse, like the gals there, the staff there, everybody there, they're amazing people. And what's been cool is like, as that program's gotten faster, more fast teams wanted to race us. And we've, so this upcoming year, it'll be a little bit of a preview to ACC's next year because Stanford and Cal are coming out to uh, Lake Monticello. So it's going to be, I believe it's Stanford, Cal, Syracuse, UVA, and Oregon State doing a, a race this spring. So Everybody can peep the sneak preview of <laughs> ACC championships coming up in 2025. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be unbelievable. You forgot SMU. Are they, are they going to that match as well? SMU. Um, you know, I don't. I'm sorry. I forgot SMU because I was just thinking Pac-12. Um, I don't think they're going this year to that event. But then hmm. obviously they'll be, they'll hmm. be in there um, 2025. And I'm excited to see what Chase can do, you know another fellow new head coach taking over a program. So um, yeah, excited to see him build that program as well. I was just about to say he left Duke and now he's at SMU. I mean, it's everyone's moving around the coaching and, and, and at least NCAA and even IRA has changed so much with new coaches being bumped up. You know, Coach Gladstone retiring from Yale, uh, Coach Mike Gennaro being bumped up to head coach, like all these different roles and, and people uh, changing and whatnot. It's, it's unbelievable. Chris Clark from Wisconsin. Uh, so going back to, but going back to you, I want to, I want to know more about, uh, the program right now. So you have a lot of incoming freshmen, uh, they're mm-hmm. here now, they're freshmen or does Harvard call them first years or is that just Yale? They call them first years as well. First years. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that like been a change for you to kind of talk like that? Like your first year, everyone knows you're freshman. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Hudson, there's so many changes. There's so many acronyms that are specific to Harvard <laughs> and, uh, you just got to make sure you're 
jumping on board and not getting them wrong. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so in terms of like uh, documentary and stuff like that and, and, and getting more features onto the Ivy League program, uh, Nick Trojan, as you know, he's a good friend of yours. Uh, he, he had mentioned to me, you got to get Claire on the podcast. You got to get her on. She's just doing amazing things. And uh, he's been doing fantastic work with mm -hmm. abilities to uh, spotlighting, you know, college programs around the world. He had young Cal, Yale and Harvard, but he even mentioned in rolling this article that's super tough to kind of get footage and documentary stuff because of the fact of the, all the rules of the NCAA. Mm. Uh, do you think that with all, all, all the NIL stuff that's happening with more money being towards college athletes and whatnot, do you think that that can hopefully lighten up and people can start to get more featured onto the program? I know that Eamon Glavin is working a lot with the Ivy leagues right now with getting, uh, getting featured on that. He did one at Cornell. I think he was at Penn. He did, he's doing all the Ivy leagues, I think. So if, is that something that's happening with your program too, or has he already been there? I think that he came out honestly this past spring potentially, but would love to have him out. And I think it's such a cool like I, I think what Nick's doing, what he's doing, like it's so amazing. Um, I wish I had that level of skill with the camera, but I do not. That's why there's people like them who can who can make these amazing documentaries and and highlight our crazy sport, right? Yeah, I mean, one day, you know, I'll have to like collab with Nick on this or something. But <laughs> I hope that there's some people out there that can make. I don't know. My my mind is racing in terms of like. Imagine if we could have almost like a drive to survive, like the Netflix, a series about Formula One. Like, imagine if we could have that for rowing and just kind of highlight how cool our sport is. Because there's so many people who just don't know much about rowing. People think it's like this simple canoe sport when it's really not. It doesn't really seem like something interesting. But when they hear, like on, on Marine Stadium, when the Olympics were, were there, they're coming back in 2028. That's that question I want to ask you. Coaching on that waterway at Marine Stadium. And now they're going to be Olympic Games in 2028. The course is not just a 2K. It's a 1,500 meters now. So, I mean, what is what are your thoughts on that? Like, it, it's going from 2,000 meters to 1,500 meters on a water that you coached at for many years. It's going to change the training game for leading up to the games, of course. I mean, Marine Stadium is a really cool place to row. And there is, you know, you got a back channel where you can go back. You can do... You can do, I believe it's like a 10K loop from the back channel around the island to the back channel. And we used to do that a lot with LBJC. Curious to see how it all shakes out. It's interesting to to continue to see how this sport's changing with lightweight rowing and distances and stuff like that. So yeah, it's all quite complicated and, you know, maybe above my pay grade a little bit. <laughs> Great. I know you're 100% right. The daily life of an athlete at Harvard. So they wake up in the morning super early. They have morning practice. They have they have school. They have weights. What is it like as an athlete at Harvard? I mean, you were at Syracuse. You've done the whole shebang, being a part of like a huge Power Five conference school. Mm -hmm. Now it's Power Four, which is crazy with the Pac-12 being like almost disintegrated, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so anything similarities that you brought over from Syracuse to Harvard, anything like that? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like student athlete life, it's definitely like there are times where it's super busy and super stressful for these athletes, no matter where you're at. Again, I think, you know, back to what our role is as a coach is really to help create the understanding of like the big picture, the perspective of, yeah, there's going to be times where it's go, go, go. We're in the thick of racing season and 
you can't press pause very often. It's us helping these athletes learn how to prioritize things in different times of the year. Because of course, like we see it year after year after year, you know, you see your freshmen come in or your first years um, come in and a lot of the times they have the same struggle as the first years from the year before. And, you know, and then they move on to sophomore year and it doesn't seem to get too much easier for them in sophomore year. And they have maybe a little bit of a higher expectation. And then junior year, they're stepping into a role of being an upperclassman and someone that younger people on the team are, are looking up to and looking to for answers or like, what is the expectation? And our student athletes can help kind of onboard our new, new athletes and help them along in the process to hopefully not make the same mistakes or, um, maybe just understand how to navigate campus a little bit better. You know, something that we, that was challenging at Syracuse that is the same at Harvard is we just have class schedules all over the place. And so there are times where we have people running straight from a class, getting to the boathouse right at the start of practice. And then, you know, they're kind of scrambling to get out there and we're just doing our best to support them in that, right? Like they're there, they're, they're at Harvard to get, a great education and to have a high level rowing experience. And so I think trying to, trying to help them understand that, you know, it's okay if you have to run to the boathouse, take a deep breath, reset, you know, set, set that part of campus down. And then you have this awesome opportunity to just be out on the water, focus on what you're doing out on the water with your teammates. Even though you're working hard, like take a deep breath and enjoy it, enjoy the hard work. So yeah, I mean, I think, again, that's back to our role as coaches is to help these athletes navigate that, be supportive in that, take an interest in what they're doing in that, um, get to know what they're doing outside of the boat. Because a lot of what our student athletes are doing is just absolutely amazing, right? Like, it's cool to see them on the water and know what they're doing in the boat and know what they need to work on, but it's also cool to get to know them as people too and always reminding ourselves that they're people first. <laughs> now, you just hired two new assistant coaches on the roster mm-hmm. or coaching staff, I should say, and you just talked about getting to know people. How are you as a head coach leading the program? How are you getting all of the athletes and all the coaching staff to come together as one? It's obviously going to take some time. People have to know each other's flaws and what you know what hits them and what doesn't. So I'm just curious if you have anything that you've been working on to create a really good sense of a, you know, solid team culture, because when you work indifferent independently, it, it's, it's not cohesive. And as much as a lot of rowers like to skull and I like to be alone, uh, this, if you're going to sign on to a team like Harvard, you have to work together as a team. So yeah. I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, that's like. That's the big thing, right, Hudson? Like, I think, honestly, it's it's a lot about setting a standard and expectation from the beginning, um, clearly defining roles, and then constant communication. Um, you know, it's not all going to be perfect from day one. And, you know, I think <laughs> every day since my first day, I've wished there were more hours in the day to get more things done. Um, to set it up even better than what we have going on right now. But um, yeah, I mean, I like truthfully, I think what we've tried to do is make sure we're communicating with our athletes about what the expectation is. You know, here's, we come into the boathouse. Here's when we start our warm up. Here's, here's like the lineups are posted here. Here's the work we're doing. Just making sure that they, they know what's going on so that 
they're set up for success. Again, like our job as coaches is not to set these athletes up to fail. It's to have clear communication, set the expectation so that they can meet and exceed those expectations. And like, you know, hopefully a lot of the times we're, we're lobbing the softball to them and they're just knocking it out of the park. Right. That's the hope. Now, if it was that easy, we'd all, (laughs) that would be great. (laughs) But yeah, there's always bumps. And again, I think just communicating that that's also normal to have bumps along the way and that everything's not going to be perfect from day one. And that actually at the end of the day, we're all in this together learning, you know, like as a, as a head coach and specifically as a new head coach, like I'm not going to have all the answers. Some of these kids have been at Harvard for now four years or going on their fourth year. They definitely know the place better than I do at this point. Right. And I'm not going to pretend like I know it better than them, but my hope is that like, I can learn from their experience. I can learn from them. And it's all about like the idea sharing and the collaboration and helping people along the way, continue to get better every day. The time at the boathouse that we spend, both athletes, coaches, support staff, whomever it may be, like that that's amplifying the rest of our lives, you know, especially in a sport like rowing and, and like collegiate athletics in general, where you have small staffs, it's so important that you're functioning well as a staff and that there's clear communication. It's never going to be perfect every day. I do feel really lucky that I have two awesome assistant coaches right now who pretty much every day are like, how are you doing? What do you need me to do? Um, And so we've kind of been in process of, you know, defining clear roles of who's taking ownership of what. Again, I just feel really lucky that they're super competent and and good people. Like at the end of the day, they're good human beings. And to me, that's <laughs> that that's a really important thing um, is to just work alongside with people who are really good people. That's what makes the team go faster. Yes, <laughs> definitely. If you want to work together, if you want to make something out of every day, then you're going to get results and it's going to be good results. So now we are going to go into our next segment of recruiting because recruiting is huge. So mm-hmm. Will Porter from Yale, your arch nemesis, ne- maybe not your arch nemesis, <laughs> but no, the rivalry. Will might say different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, he's, he's an amazing coach. I mean, he's wonderful. Uh, great podcast with him. But recruiting now is different. The NCAA has changed things. I mean, football has been getting away with things for years, you know, with recruiting athletes in eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade. But uh, now we have, you know, rowing is now people are able to go in their officials at their junior year. They're getting reached out, offered, you know, junior year. What has that been like? You've you've been through where it's the typical, like, you know, for, uh, seniors come in their first month and, and, you know, senior year of high school, and then they go in their officials and they, they can technically commit there. And then, you know, they're signing in December. How has that been? Your assistant coaches kind of take up that, you know, as you were once a recruiting coordinator, so you've all have experience with that. Mm-hmm. How are you set the standard for what you want with your coaches so that they don't waste people's time? Yeah, I mean... So for us at at the Ivy League level, it's so different. And that's something I'm still kind of, you know, I at Syracuse recruited against Ivies a lot. So familiar with their timeline and that sort of thing. However, being on the other side of it is a totally different beast. And I think what's wild, you know, I saw this at Syracuse and it's definitely true more so now than ever is the fact that, you know, recruiting's moving earlier and earlier in women's rowing specifically. I saw that shift, especially through COVID when programs couldn't bring 
athletes on official visits. So it was kind of like, you know, you're talking to this kid, you get to know them mostly over Zoom, you're meeting their families over Zoom, all that stuff. And then you're kind of like, okay, well, are you coming? Or are you not? Right? Like, because there's no the, you know, I always see the official visit as like the icing on the cake, right? Like they should have all the other information that they need prior to the official visit. So they feel comfortable with just hey, let's live a couple of days in the life and try it on for size and see if it's the right fit for me. Again, I think it's all about communication. One, it's setting the standard of what you're looking for both on and off the water. We're at this, you know, really interesting time with Radcliffe taking over for Liz, who's been there for 37 years and created this amazing program. Um, and the women on the team currently, what's you know, I feel so lucky to have inherited this team that that Liz built because really it's like these women want to work hard. They want to do well. They're excited about rowing. They love rowing. It's very clear that it's a huge priority in their life. So to me, that's a pretty special thing coming in as a new head coach. You know, again, like I said before, there's going to be bumps that things are different. We're trying to make this as smooth a transition for them as we can. It's definitely hard for, for them as much as it is for us to, to totally take a, a leap of faith and jump in on a whole new a whole new situation. But I'm appreciative of them like showing up every day and being excited to do it. So with that, it's like it's recruiting athletes who want to be a part of that and who understand clearly what you're looking for in terms of, you know, fitness, speed on the water, rowing ability, coach ability, and then character, like what you're looking for in terms of the character of the people that you're bringing on your team. Like you, as a, as a coaching staff and as a team together, we're setting the vision and, and the mission that we're setting out on. But when you're recruiting, you're bringing in the people that are going to help you execute that. So making sure that they know what they're signing themselves up for and that they have all the information that they need and, and um, they feel comfortable with you as a coach. They feel comfortable at the university. It's the right fit for them school-wise. It's the right fit for them personality-wise. And again, it's, it's like having them understand that when you sign on to being part of the team, you're there to help execute execute the vision and help leave your mark on the program. And that's a really special thing, right? Like not everybody gets that opportunity and they've worked really hard for that. And they're gonna, they're gonna do a lot more hard work once they sign on. Um, so helping them just get all that information and, and be ready for it as best they can and then support them along the way. That's fantastic. Cause you, who you are is gonna make the athletes get be better. And uh, having a level-headed mind when you before practice you know, it, it, everything kind of comes to one and you finally realize at the end of the day that if who you are as an individual and how you want to impact the world around you, you know, your teammates and whatnot, you will see success. And maybe it's not, you know, meddling every year at NCAAs, but it's at least going after every day and accomplishing at least 1% in something. As long as you're improving each and every day, then you're going to see results and things are going to go well. Uh, so last couple of questions here. I don't want to take too much of your time. Uh, I know that you got lots to do this year. It's obviously your first year at Harvard and there's a lot of things that people want to know about. Why isn't Harvard women's, you know, Radcliffe, why aren't they, why aren't they at NCAAs? Why are they not there? Your goal obviously this year is to make the NCAAs, right? Like that's your yeah. goal as a team. And I'm, I'm sure everyone's goal is to do that. I really mm -hmm. hope that the team gets there because there's just, 
there's no reason why Harvard shouldn't be at NCAAs every year, you know, at least at least this year. So I really hope that the team gets there. And uh, I'm sure everyone does. But your first big race ahead of the Charles is coming up on your home course. Preparing for that. How has that been? Yeah, I mean, it's so funny being back in Boston for the Charles. You forget how chaotic it is just every day on the water, you know, going from kind of being on our own on our waterway in Syracuse and having endless water. And then, you know, the Charles is amazing because we, we also have amazing water, amazing access to a lot of water. But boy, is it busy leading up to the Charles <laughs> with everyone and their mother out there on the water. <laughs> so it's, you know, I mean, I think it's it's a really fun experience. It's way more chaotic as a coach than it is as an athlete. <laughs> so being on the other side of the megaphone is definitely different. I think, you know, like for the Charles this year, I'm excited to to be kind of right in the thick of everything, of course, being at Weld, like, you know, we're one of the timing stations on uh, on the Charles course. So it's been exciting. You know, we're, we're out there getting ready for it. What we're also trying to focus on is like having, again, that long-term view of like, we want to be fast in May, you know, like if we're at our peak speed right now, then we've made a drastic error. So I think just trying to make sure that we're we're keeping that long-term view. We're we're working super hard and kind of like the Charles, you know, for me, like I think the Charles, the Chase, and we're also gonna we're gonna finish out the year or the fall, sorry, with um, foot of the Charles, just with rowing some fours within the within the team. It's a really like it's an early test of speed and fitness, and it's also like first opportunity to see to have the athletes kind of go through some some selection type stuff right and helping them along the way in that but you know I love the Charles it's so fun but it's definitely not the end-all be-all I think what is really cool for our student athletes at Harvard is the fact that like it's the only time that we get to have our boats go by weld and we can have everybody out there on Anderson cheering us on everybody out there on the dock cheering us on to me. And I know it's really special for the student athletes that, that it's like, it's our home race, the ultimate home race for us, right? Like racing right past the dock. It's super cool. You know, fingers crossed every year. We're always holding, <laughs> holding our fingers crossed to, to have good weather and not a ton of wind and have it be like a beautiful October weekend. But at the end of the day, we can't really control that. So, <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm excited. I mean, I think it's going to be fun because it's the first test of speed first test. So it's kind of like dip the toe in the water, see where we're at. Uh, but don't let it define us or get us all bent out of shape. It's, it's really just an opportunity to see what we can do on our, uh, our old friend, the Chuck. Would you say that this is the year of acclimation? Totally. <laughs> I think like no matter what new job you start, it takes like, you know, and my, my mom has said this to me in the past, it takes like six months to a year to ever feel comfortable in a new role. And I think that is even more so with coaching because it's so personal and it's so emotional and mental. Um, and you really have to pour your heart and soul into it to, to be good at it. You know, I think a lot of the times as coaches, we, we spend more time with our athletes than we do our own families. And that, you know, being a new mom sometimes is really hard. And I, I hope that that will all pay off one day. You know, Martha will spend a ton of time at boathouses in her life, I'm sure. 
um, and at race courses. <laughs> you know, I think it's it's all just taking it day by day, just like we ask our student athletes to do. Take it day by day, 1% better every day. You know, focus on the things you can control. Just, you know, I've, <laughs> I've continued to feel a little better every day already, and I'm not even two months in. And that's just a lot of just checking things off the massive to-do list we have. <laughs> um, and again, back to the back to the support staff and the assistant coaches. Like, it's just great to have good people around you to help you do that and make it feel a little bit more normal, a little bit more manageable. But yeah, definitely a year of acclimation, not only for us as coaches, definitely for our athletes too. And I just like, I don't want to um, minimize that. Uh, Cause I know it's, it's hard for them. You know, like I said, some of these gals have been on the team for four years or going on their fourth year now, and this is a massive change. So I'm trying to make sure that they're, they're feeling supported and taken care of and, um, and they're being heard and, and cared for. You definitely aren't selfish. That's one thing. You're very selfless. That's going to carry you and your athletes a lot farther than most people will, because with a good person at the, at the in charge, teams are going to get better. So uh, that's going to be fantastic. Uh, and now the Boston culture, I would say Boston and Philly, two oh, gosh. massive, massive cultures. Uh, sports <laughs> are a huge part of, of uh, you know, each city. And yeah. uh, so you mentioned a little bit about Tom Brady. I'm a huge Patriots fan. You know, <laughs> have been doing the best this year, but uh, you know, is what it is. Boston Red Sox, same thing, not doing super great. But uh, as, as being a part of Boston, when you're talking to recruits, uh, you know, you got athletes, a lot of athletes this year come from California. How do you, I mean, you didn't recruit those athletes, but how did you, how are you, I mean, even at Syracuse, you know, New York is a lot different than California is. How do you establish what it's like before you bring them out for an official visit? Is there any thing that you try to talk about? Cause you've been to both sides of the country. Yeah. I mean, um, it's funny that you mentioned Boston and Philly cause my husband's from Philly. So, you know, we have a, We've got the the Eagles Patriots rivalry all the time. All the sports, we're trying to figure out if Martha's going to be an Eagles fan or a pa- Patriots fan. Uh, so. I probably go out the Eagles right now, honestly. Oh, right now, but you know, back when I was in Boston before, you know, all the sports were really good. So maybe they'll come back. Maybe they'll come back for me. Yeah, I mean, I think again, it's like just super clear communication about what what the area you're you're in is like, right? So like what the city is like, um, what campus is like, size of campus, all of those things. So I think, you know, I think maybe I have a weird perspective of recruiting because I wasn't recruited to row. So I went through the process, you know, like I, what led me to, to going to BU and, um, and that sort of, and trying rowing was I had torn my ACL playing soccer my junior year of high school and, you know, really had wanted to play soccer in college and missed out on, on the recruiting stuff and, um, was looking at some smaller D3 schools and they were just too small for me. And I, I, I wanted to go to a larger university. And so I really like took the sports aspect out of it and thought about like, location, size, diversity, all of those things, like, and what I was looking for just solely as a person um, without the athlete side of it. And I think it's helpful for us as coaches to share those parts of our universities and our locations um, because 
at the end of the day, it's like when, when the rowers have, they're going to grow up on campus, right? Like the, the, from the time you start when you're 18 years old, 17, 18 years old, to the time that you finish when you're 21, 22 years old, you're, you're quite a different person, right? And you spend those years trying to figure out who you are, who you want to be, where you want to go, all of that stuff. And so I think being in the right spot that supports you, again, like as a human being at the very base level, I just think that's like massively important. So I think sharing those things first and making sure recruits take a step back and, and don't forget to gloss over those things because they're so focused on just the sport is really important. And I think that's what prevents kids from transferring. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. The transfer portal is hopping, right? Like, so I think making sure that these recruits have all the information and that you've been truthful in the process and, you know, you're making sure that they not only they have all the information, but their families feel comfortable. Their families think it's a good fit for them. Um, all that stuff is just massively important. So like I said, trying to do that throughout the process and then letting, letting the official visit be the icing on the cake, being the last piece of the puzzle is, is really important. And really the official visit is their chance for, is their opportunity to meet their future teammates. So so there's that side of it. And then like for recruits, no matter if they're coming from down the street or like halfway around the world, it's going to be hard, right? And back to what our role is in their lives, it's to make sure that you're providing a safety net for them, especially in that first semester is like get them started on a good foot. Make sure they feel like someone's checking in on them because they go from being, you know, most of them go from being at home with their parents um, or parent and they have someone that's checking in on them every day. And really our time at practice is <laughs> the time where they have somebody checking in on them. And sometimes maybe that's the only time in the day someone's checking in to make sure they're okay and to make sure that they are where they need to be and they're, you know, they've had a meal and <laughs> they are doing their homework and all of those things. So it's, yeah, I think making sure that you get them started on the right foot and that we're trying to help alleviate some of that stress of that initial transition is, yeah, it's, it's so helpful. Do you have any expectations for your athletes being athletes on a team like Harvard? There obviously is academic requirements they need to meet. Uh, partially from the NCAA and just from the university itself to be eligible. How do you establish your expectations? Yeah. I mean, I think it's setting the standard from the get-go and being clear about what it means to be on the team. I think what's awesome is we have amazing captains on the team who are great leaders. And I think they also set an expectation of, of what it means to be on the team. And there are sort of things that they oversee and, um, not necessarily unspoken rules, but, but kind of rules of like what it is to be on the squad and, and be at the boathouse and how you respect that space and treat it and how you treat each other. And I think, again, it's, yeah, I, I think setting that expectation and standard from the beginning of like, you know, we're going to respect each other. We're going to look out for each other. We're going to respect the boathouse. Um, we're going to respect the other programs in the boathouse. And we expect that back, right? Like that, that we're all here with 
a, an understanding of mutual respect for one another because we're all out there doing the same thing, right? You know, that we're going to operate with a high level of integrity and we're going to be honest and truthful um, both in school and, and also in the work that we're doing on the machines, on the water. We're operating at our highest level there. And then, you know, that we're, we're continuously trying to work on our communication skills. I think that's something for collegiate athletes and this age group specifically. It's like, again, trying to set a standard of like how you're going to communicate with your coaches, how you're going to communicate with each other, how you're going to communicate with the support staff, with hotel staff when we travel, with our bus driver, like setting standards for those kind of things. And then trying to help them just operate at their at a high performance level and be excellent at the things that they're pursuing. Um, so I think that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot to do. And it, again, it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. And a lot of it's just learning um, and going through this process together and learning from one another. What's it been like being uh, coaches alongside Coach Charlie Butt? Yeah, Charlie has been super welcoming at the boathouse. I do feel a little bit lucky in the sense that working previously with Dave Reichman at Syracuse, like Dave is good buddies with Charlie and of course did his amazing Dave thing of introducing us via text and, um, um, you know, helping me out getting started on a, getting me set up to talk with Charlie but no, Charlie's been super welcoming. I think we all have a lot going on at all times, um, but it's been fun to work alongside him in the boathouse and, you know, chat about technique and different stretches and these things and that, those things. So um, it's amazing to have him as a resource and like, you know, as a, as a, as a fellow coach in Weld right now, even though I know they'll eventually go back to Newell, but yeah, Charlie's a great guy, and I'm appreciative of him being so welcoming to uh, to me and to my staff, and just being a good a good buddy in the in the boathouse. I think that's gonna sum up the podcast right there. You're a dog parent. You're you're a mother. You got things going on. You're a head coach. So I'll let you do your thing, Coach. But uh, I just wanted to say thank you again for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully, we can get Coach Charlie but on. I've reached out a couple of times. Uh, you know, we had Coach Glasser on. I only know how much more you need me to get to prove myself. Uh, but uh, I know I don't know Blackstone's how much. a legend. <laughs> yeah, he's a legend, and I had him on, and that was a fantastic episode. But anyways, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Wish you and the team all the best this year. Uh, hopefully, we get to see you at NCAA's this year, and good luck at Charles in the next couple of weeks. Thank you so much. Thanks, thanks, Hudson. <laughs>